morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. Um, for those that don't know, I'll remind everybody, Brother Dolph is at Winter Garden, Florida. With, uh, Elder Glenn Blanchard's church this Sunday, so he won't be with us. And we've got Brother Brian Geist, who's certainly no stranger to us. Uh, excuse me, elder. He's the elder now from Pulaski. And um, just ask that y'all pray for him and his family and pray that the Lord would um, bless him with the words that we need to hear today. And um, does anybody have any prayer requests? Now would be the time. Thanksgiving.
freedom of speech and everywhere, even here in America, but it's nothing like it is in other parts of the world. We really need to pray for all of God's people everywhere. We really do. Anyone else? Y'all will bow with me, please. Lord, as I have said, we just pray, Lord, for peace. Pray for your church and your people, Lord. We pray we would not take that blessing that we have here in America for granted. Pray that that protection would not be taken from us, Lord, that it would be extended to others, that your gospel would go forth. I just pray you'd be with us now, Lord. Bless Brother Brian and his family. Be with him as he labors under the wonderful yet heavy burden you put him under to preach the gospel to your people. Hear us, Lord, as we bring our petitions and cryings before you. Work your will, Lord, thy will be done. But heal us if it be thy will. Remember us, Lord, how fearful we are when our bodies get sick and fail. Just give us strength and renewal. And Lord, we, in all these things, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that you are the one who holds tomorrow. And I just pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us, Lord, and pour us out a blessing. Be with us now as we feebly try to worship you. Good morning. It's good to be back. Uh, I want to read a few verses in Hebrews chapter 4 and then spend some time in Hebrews chapter 5. Um, appreciated the singing here this morning. It was one of the things my kids mentioned that they needed to be here today because of the singing. Several of them mentioned that. Uh, every Christian here below is hopefully in one of two places, either in rest or laboring to enter into rest, right? There's a third option, which is not in rest, and not laboring to enter into that rest. And that's not a good place to be. We know that. It's maybe getting caught up in the cares and wiles of the world and losing focus on the heavenly things that we should be focused on while we're engaged in the cares and wiles of the world. It's not something where it's a one or the other for the believer. It's a question of how do we engage in heavenly things while we are living here below. It's not that we put our living here below on hold so that we can walk over here and do the spiritual things for a while and then we get hungry or tired have to go back to the physical no we should be able to synerg with synergy work both things at the same time the song that we just sung was a song of the Christian heart looking forward to that rest 
that is in store for all God's children. That endless rest. That rest where there's no labor coming after it. We have bits and pieces and pictures of that now. And that's what the author of Hebrews was talking about in verses like verse, we'll start off in verse 5. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, if they shall enter into my rest. So it's a conditional phrase there. So that's obviously not talking about the final state because that's not up to us. So if God's people shall enter into Christ's rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. You think of the children of Israel when they were delivered from Egypt and that atrocity of a life that they had there and miraculously coming out of the Red Sea as they came out they were surrounded by the dead bodies of the Egyptians that washed up on the shore in front of them unbelievable they came out of that they saw what God had delivered them from and then they heard the giants in the land and they said, whoa, we're a feeble people. We can't do this. We're small. They're big. They're strong. They have walls. They didn't enter into their rest. So they spent the next 40 years marching from funeral to funeral to funeral to funeral. And hundreds of thousands of them because of those people that would not enter into the land had to pass away so that the younger people could enter into that rest of dwelling in the promised land. Verse 7, Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So we go here to the picture of creation. The six days of God's labor and then a day of rest. And there is encouragement there for the child of God to strive to enter into that rest, to not be like the children of Israel that wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, wondering what they may be missing out on, that they weren't allowed to partake in. They were in that third group that we mentioned earlier, those that were not laboring into rest, to enter into the rest and they definitely weren't in the rest they were without 
So the exhortation here then is, if you're not in that state of rest, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So it's lively, it's quickening, brings to life that which is dead. Dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Things that are hard for us to make sense of. Like what's the difference between soul and spirit? I asked this question at our church a while back and Asking myself that, if you were to come up in the middle of a random day and ask me that, I'd be saying, uh, 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 <laughs> and trying to piece together what the differences are in my mind because it's maybe not easy to think of. But I was saying that the Word of God is able even to make the difficult things known understandable, clear. Going to Morrow, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. So, when I think about the standard sermon on entering into rest for the child of God, and maybe sermons that I've heard before and that I've probably, that I have given myself, what is the focus there? You better do this or you're going to have a bad time later. Right? You say, well, that's right here in the Bible. It's plain as day. Scriptural truth. That's true. But it's there. And it is right. We need to be careful when we're looking at that. We can go down that road that I got to do this road. And if you go down the Brian Geist, I got to do this road of any length of space, you're going to find wreckage and ruin there because the I got to do this talking about Brian never ends up at the I done that. There's periods where maybe the child of God enters into rest temporarily here on earth and it's a welcome respite when we're there. But it's not the land of endless rest that we've thought about that this Psalm 143 is concerned with. There's something greater there, something that 
the temporary rest is just a picture of. And that picture is Christ. So when we get on this road map that is laid out before us, let us labor to enter into the rest. Let's remember that that's just a step in a process. That's a biblical exhortation. But it is not the end-all, be-all for the Christian life. If we get concerned about what am I going to do now, what am I going to do ten minutes from now, what am I going to do an hour from now, pretty soon I'm thinking about three things, I, me, and myself. Everybody likes to do that, right? I like to think about me. Pretty good topic. Got high hopes. I'm a special person. I'm real good too. And I'll tell myself that. And then I, maybe I'll start to believe it. Then I'll live life for about 10 minutes and I'll see, well, that isn't so. That's not really what I see when I really look at my heart. I can find darkness there. I can find spiritual need. And I find that that subject which I thought was maybe such a high and glorious subject is not satisfying. Not satisfying. And you can look at Christians that go down that road looking for satisfaction in their works and they have to either go down two roads. One road they either have to blind themselves to their wrongs and then they can say well I'm doing a good work and I'm going to do another good work and I'm going to do another good work and I'm not going to consider my bad works and just go from good thing to good thing to good thing to good thing to good thing so they can stay on that road of only thinking about themselves and their good works by blinding themselves or maybe they step back for a second and they say, I've been on this road for a while now and I see that I did good works Monday, Tuesday, blah, 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 Friday, Saturday, and now Sunday. But mixed in those good works all along the way was a bad work here and a bad work there. And my heart still the same. It's as bad and as needy now as it was last Monday. So then I must not really be on this road. This road to perfection or utopia or whatever that picture you build in your head of heaven, heaven on earth.
I'm not really there. And then they give up. They give up and make a wreck. A wreck of their life. That self-focused road leads to one of two places. Either that blind Pharisee that can't see they're wrong or that person that sees their heart and knows that they're hopeless and they know that there's no solution there and uh, I'm going to do better. We're exhorted to enter into that rest, to labor to enter into that rest though. That part is right, that part is true, that part is scripture. But that thought is not the captivating thought before us. Coffee must have been weak this morning. We can't stay with that thought. That's where we need to be. That's a step we need to take. But when we take that step, when we labor to enter into that rest, or when we actually get into that rest, where do we need to go? Don't stay focused on yourself, on your own heart. Think about Jesus, the Son of God. And it's right here in verse 14. He tells us to go there. Why do we stop with the, I've got to labor, I've got to do this? Why do we stop there? Verse 14. He gives us the reason. He says, seeing. Seeing. So there's something more important than the actual taking of that step. That laboring to enter into rest. There's a reason why. There's a because. And he gives it to us right here. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. That is the reason because that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Okay? So he doesn't say hold fast your profession because you're a good Pharisee and you can keep your blinders on. And he doesn't say Give up your profession because you see that you can't hold it yourself with the goodness of your own heart. He's saying hold fast your profession because of the Son of God. That because of, you can put because of the power of, because of the goodness of, and because of the love of, and because of the holiness of the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. He's not just God, the high and mighty, that is so far above us that there is no relation But verse 15 says that in addition to being 
the Almighty, the Creator, the Keeper, and the Savior. In addition to that, for we have not an high priest which cannot, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. So this Son of God, this Jesus, went through the trials that you've gone through. In every point, in every way. You say, well, I've been through some rough roads. Nobody's really gone through the things that I've gone through, except for Job. And he doesn't count because he was a long time ago and he was just somebody special. I don't want to think about him. Me, think about me. I'm the one that went through the rough road. I'm the one that really has it bad. Jesus was touched just like you were. Jesus was tempted just like you were. Jesus went down the same road, the exact same road. And guess what? High priest advocating for us before God. He's able actually to stand before God and to advocate on your behalf because while he was there getting touched and tempted and tried like you were, he responded in a way that was honoring to God without sin, without that bad heart that we see when we look into the mirror without failure. We have a high priest that can be successful at every point advocating on our behalf because he's been successful at every point in the past. That's far beyond the two points in the road of keeping your blinders on so that you don't see your own sins or actually looking at your own sins and giving up because you know that you're hopeless. That's casting your blinders off and seeing the perfections of Christ on the road in front of you and knowing that he is going to deal on your behalf and make things right for you despite the failings of your heart. Despite. Because of that, then verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> There's a connection there between this last part of chapter 4 and that first part of chapter 4. 
we usually, I say we, me, right? That person that says everybody does it, accuses the whole world and condemns one. Put a separation there between that laboring to enter into rest and then looking at the perfections of Christ and trusting in that. It's all together. So we take that together, and now 31 minutes into our time, we can start our message. Chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts Okay, that's thanksgiving. Saying thank you, God, for blessing us. Thank you, God, for being good to us. Here's a little bit back to show the gratefulness of our hearts. And then also, there is the sacrifices for sin. The, uh uh-oh, I've messed up. I'm going to take of the good that I have that I really could have used and I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to part with it, I'm going to lose it to show you that I know that I've messed up, that I've done wrong, that there's a price that has to be paid. Every high priest taken from among men. Okay, so God chooses high priests in the Old Testament structure. Those high priests were somebody's, they were special peoples that were put into that position by God. A picture of the true great high priest who was definitely planned and ordained for that task. ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? Okay, so both of those two groups of people need the high priest. The ignorant Think of the Pharisee that's blind and stuck on the, I can do good. I did good yesterday. I'm doing good now, and I'm going to do good tomorrow. Pharisee's pretty ignorant, isn't he? He's blind in his own conceit. High priest is for the child of God that's a Pharisee. The high priest is also for the child of God that is out of the way. Okay, the child of God that's not blind to his own condition. The child of God that can look into his own heart and say, I'm a failure, 
I failed yesterday. I'm failing now. I'm going to fail tomorrow. Throw up my hands and give up. That response is wrong too. The blind is wrong, and the person that sees that they can't get there is wrong. Both of them need the high priest. Both children of God in that condition get the high priest working on their behalf. When you're in one of those two conditions and you're not looking at Jesus, you're not considering your condition and your need for him, then you're not entering into your rest. Then you're just like trying to walk on hot asphalt. We're about to that time of year. Maybe today we're actually there. But you go out here at noon and you put a foot on the hot asphalt and what do you do? You pick it up and you put your other foot down because that's what gravity does. And then you pick up that foot and you notice that you're putting more weight on your other foot, pressing down harder against the hot asphalt, and it burns more. And you run across it or get off of it as fast as you can. But every solution that you have towards getting yourself out of that while you're in, while you're on the asphalt, just makes you worse off in another way. I can give my left foot relief by picking it up, but that just makes my right foot hurt worse. You need somebody to come through and pick you up off of the hot asphalt, and then both feet have relief. You can't pick yourself up, grab your belt, Lift as hard as you can. You can't pick your feet up off the ground. It's not the way it works. We're sinners in need of help. We need a high priest who, verse 2, can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. When Christ was on this earth, he not only was tempted with sin, without sin, I mean tempted to sin, but without failing on his part. But he was also touched with the infirmities of man. Pain. Horrible pain. Beyond what we've ever experienced probably. Probably all of us. 
illness, sickness, anything that we go through and say, oof, that was bad. Christ went through something like it. He went through something that was as bad. Verse 3, and by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Okay, that's talking about the earthly high priest, the Levitical high priest, but just making a picture of Christ, verse 5, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Christ was made and placed into this role as high priest. And what does that high priest do? He gives the child of God aid. He intercedes on behalf of the child of God. He is there to bless and to make right the child of God. The one that's blind or just as bad, the one that's not blind and sees his need but ready to give up. A lot of times the person that sees the darkness of their own heart and throws up their hands to give up. That person probably was yesterday's Pharisee. Somebody that would have previously said, on the whole, I'm a pretty good guy. talking with somebody earlier this week and they're talking about their salvation being dependent on Christ and they were talking about how they used to look at things and say well God wants some people to be in heaven and God set it up so that some people would be in heaven and to get there well there must be some cut off among humanity where the good people go to heaven and the bad people don't go to heaven. So I'm going to look at the people around me and say, this person over here is pretty bad. They're really bad. And this person over here is sort of bad too. Maybe I just need to be better than them, as good as this good person over here, because God's going to put some people in hell and put some people in heaven. So how good do I have to be? And he played that game with himself. How good do I have to be? 
God's probably, if I draw the line right here, everybody that's good works is above that line. They're probably going to go to heaven. And everybody whose good works maybe don't reach up to that line, they're maybe down here. That's not safe. That's not a good place to be. So I'm going to make sure that my good works are up here above that line. The problem is, is none of that's scriptural. That's all the religion of man. Cain bringing the fruit of his own toils to give as an offering wasn't accepted. Even though he probably did it as well as anybody could do it. Came and gave his best, and it was rejected. It was of no use to God. God despised it. Cain's offering, sorry, Abel's offering, was completely different. What did Abel offer up? Abel offered up that which God grew, that which God made. Abel didn't go to God with, uh, look what I've done. Look at me. I'm the Pharisee with my blinders on. I don't need you. I can get to the sweet rivers of redeeming love by my own works. No. He came and dressed out a lamb and offered that with the shedding of blood, a picture of the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. He gave a good picture of the sacrifice made at Calvary. good picture was accepted by God because it showed the proper relationship and the road to reconciliation between God and man. A suitable sacrifice had to be made by a suitable high priest. And this is where you really start to stretch my brain in all sorts of different directions. Because this whole passage that we're reading about here is about Christ the high priest. Christ the perfect high priest. Offering the suitable sacrifice. And the lamb that Abel's sacrifice pictured was who? Who was sacrificed at Calvary, Titus? Who was sacrificed at Calvary? Who was hung on the cross? Jesus was. But wait, Jesus is the high priest. 
and then Jesus is also the sacrifice, then that, how does that make sense? How can you be both? How does that work? That really stretches me. I don't, I can't grasp it. I know it's true, it's scripture, easy to see, hard to understand. And I would say maybe even beyond understanding. I heard an English preacher one time, he said that that was something that we can apprehend Okay, we can say, this is true, we know it's true, we can apprehend that, but we can't really comprehend it. We can't grab onto it so much that we know the ins and outs of it, like one plus one is equal to two, and we know all there is to know about one plus one equals to two. As we see it every time we put two apples together, or two eggs together, two biscuits together. Must be hungry too. We know what one plus one is. We understand that. We apprehend that and we comprehend that. But this Jesus being our high priest and Jesus being our sacrifice is something that we can apprehend but something that we can't fully comprehend how does the high priest take himself to God and say here is the suitable sacrifice here is the one who knew no sin but was touched and tempted and tried just like everybody else yet without failure here is the perfect man, Christ Jesus, sacrifice for sin by Christ Jesus. And then you say that's hard to comprehend. Well, the next step is even harder to comprehend. The high priest sacrificed the perfect sacrifice that sacrifice is dead for three days and three nights in the grave. And then what does that sacrifice do? Well, what does anything that's dead do? Say, well, it stays dead, right? That's what the hamburger in the freezer does. It was alive and now it's dead and it stays dead. what the dead fly that's smashed and left on the window by somebody that should have cleaned it off does. It stays there and says, yes, somebody won a victory over something that was annoying. Now they're showing it off. They didn't clean it up. Dead. Stays dead. This sacrifice wasn't like that. It was dead and buried three days and three nights, and then that sacrifice resurrects itself. Apprehend that. Okay, 
It's in the Bible. I know I have to believe the Bible because I'm a Christian, right? I'm a primitive Baptist, and primitive Baptists believe what's in the Bible. Believe the whole thing. Understand it? Never seen anything like it. Don't really understand that. But I'm glad it's true. And that's comfort to me. Because I've been that Pharisee that's walked down that road and say, I didn't really say, but my thoughts were along the lines of, you know, God is almost lucky that he has me. So I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, I know I've messed up in the past. But my heart's good. And I actually do pretty good. If you don't count the bad things that I do. Then God rips the blinders off. Sometimes that hurts. Sometimes there's a lot of pain, maybe even anguish in the loving chastisement or discipline from God that says, you're maybe not as good as you thought you were. And your works like Cain aren't good enough. need to be like Abel and bring somebody else's works. Show something else. Show a picture of the works that actually are good enough. So it's not what you show that's good enough. but it's a picture of something that is good enough that is pleasing to God and allows you to not only enter into that rest but to dwell in that rest and that's where we need to be that's where we want to be it's not where we're going to stay while we're here below. We may get into that rest for bits and pieces of time and then we're back out of that rest and we're, what are we doing? We should be laboring to get back into that rest. When we get into that rest, we enjoy it, we recharge, we rejoice in God's goodness and blessing and then maybe a trial comes or tribulation, or temptation, and we see that there's more work to do. But that I, me, myself train is not the train to be on. And we know that if we put all of chapter 4 together, and not just focus on the first half. 
but put it with the second half and then look at the first part of chapter 5. We can get into trouble when we zoom in on one particular theme in the Bible and lose focus of everything that's supporting it and everything that it supports coming after it. It's one Bible, not a collection, not just a collection of so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses that all stand independent. It's all together. That's my message for today. Labor to enter into the rest, then realize that it's not your labor that gets you there. It's not your labor that keeps you there. And that rest is just a picture of the sweet rivers of redeeming love that we have before us. Unity, peace, love, Dwelling with Christ forever and ever, world without end. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention. I'll turn the service over to Brother Richard.
still bow with me. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you that you've uh, you've given us the the ability to have your spirit portion of it uh, today, and be together in your word, Lord, and have good food. I thank I pray that you bless the hands of those that prepared it, Lord, and I thank you for all of the wonderful blessings, those that we do see and those that we don't see in our lives, Lord. We didn't deserve, and we I don't I don't feel personally that I feel like I'm even ready to understand what to ask for all the time, Lord, but I'm very thankful for your mercies, Lord. I thank you for the uh, the freedom that we have here, and I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the truth that you give to us, and uh, that you put it on our hearts as best uh, we can to understand it and glorify you, Lord, each day. And uh, I pray that you be with us as we look in all of our endeavors in our life to be looking for the right time to, to labor towards that rest, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.